So we're here in Galatians once again, and we're coming down to the conclusion of Paul's letter to the Galatians and um, our last three studies. So we've got two more weeks after today. And we're going to zero in on the passages that we read together today. And the title of our message today is Sowing and Reaping. And I think it's, um, well, appropriate, interesting, relevant, however you want to put it. But just the, the passage here, verse 7, as Paul is drawing things to a conclusion he, he says to the Galatians, be not deceived, do not be deceived. And uh, the, the relevance, I think, um, for us is we are living in a time when there is more deception in our culture than in, at any previous time, I, I think, in so many ways. And it's not... Um, it shouldn't surprise us in a sense because the biblical picture of the history of the world is that we are moving closer and closer toward the, the coming again of Christ, but the coming again of Christ will be preceded by a time of unprecedented deception in the world where the whole world is going to buy into the lie of the Antichrist. And this, you know, final world ruler that's coming uh, onto the scene in the future, one of the things that it says about him is he deceives the whole world. He deceives the whole world into thinking that he is the long-awaited savior of mankind. So as that's where the world is headed, we can see that the current situation is, is just following right along the storyline of what God says in his word as we see an increase in deception in our world. But the more concerning thing and the more relevant thing to us is just the, the possibility of deception within the church. And so these words are words that are uh, very, very important for us to take heed to that we ourselves, as God's people, are not deceived, uh, deceived by our own lust, our own desires, and uh, those kinds of things. So Paul says, as we read together, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now, there, there are many ways that... Um, a person might be deceived. And even in the, the, the context of, of our Christian lives, of course, we can be deceived through false teaching, uh, false teaching about God, wrong ideas, false religion, cults, things like that. And, and those things are a possibility that we have to be conscious of and we have to be on our guard against. But what Paul's talking about here is not really referring to that. Paul's here talking about the deception that we would come under, that a person might come under when we are seeking to satisfy some forbidden desire of the flesh. That's when our propensity for deception uh, is 
at a higher level because I, I want things to be a certain way. So I, I'm vulnerable at this point to self-deception. And that's what Paul is warning about here because he's warning about uh, a deception that, that refers to the things of the flesh, sowing to uh, the flesh, which is basically uh, Paul's way here of, of, of talking about living a life that is given over to sinful fleshly desire rather than a life given over to the life of the Spirit. So do not be deceived. Paul uses this uh, phrase two other times in his letters, once to the Corinthians and once to uh, the Ephesians. And in each one of those places, 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians chapter 5, the context is always in regard to uh, living sinfully and particularly, not exclusively, but in, in the realm of uh, sexual sin. But it's, it's not just that, but, but it is that as well. And so there's the, the warning in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters. And he goes on with a, a list there. And then in writing to the Ephesians, he's talking about uh, fornication and uh, sexual kinds of sin. And he says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. So the empty words would be things like, hey, you know, it's okay. God's not really concerned about that. No, go ahead and live that way. That's uh, if that's what makes you happy, God wants your happiness, that's what his ultimate objective is, for you to be happy, then just whatever makes you happy, that's, that's what you can do. Or like we hear today, some people say, well, you know, this is the way God made me. This is the, the person that I truly am deep inside. And I know that the most important thing is just expressing myself and, and living out who I really am. And God made me this way after all. So... Uh, What's the problem? Those are the kinds of deceptive words that Paul is warning us against, not to be deceived by those kinds of things. Now, we know that these letters are written to Christians, and so these warnings are to believers primarily, but they also would be warnings to people who are not really believers, but maybe they're churchgoers. You know, there, there are lots of people that go to church but are not believers in the, in the biblical sense. And so for the person like that, Paul is warning about the, the end result of this life of the flesh. That end result is going to be destruction, corruption, but then for, for those who are living according to the Spirit, which is one of the ways that Paul describes a believer, the end result is going to be uh, everlasting life. But whether it's deceiving oneself into thinking that we can live any way we want and in the end it's all going to be good or okay, or if it's deceiving ourselves to the point of... Uh, 
dismissing the idea of there being a God, and therefore, since there's no God, there's no accountability, and of course, no God, no accountability, there's ultimately no judgment. These are the things that people deceive themselves with today. Uh, I was walking through the area of Soho in New York a couple days ago, and there was a, um, like an outdoor art display. It was a, they were selling art pieces. Uh, and, you know, just walking along and looking at the different uh, pieces of art there. And there was a little tile that was painted red, and it said John 3.16 on it. I thought, oh, wow, it's got a little Christian piece of art here. And as I looked closer, it said opium. And it, and it almost looked like somebody came by with a, uh, a Sharpie and, and wrote opium on there. And, you know, so for a second in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, man, somebody messed this thing up. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, oh, no, this is the artist. The artist is saying that John 3.16, for God's soul of the world, is opium. This is uh, famous Karl Marx statement, you know, that religion is the opiate of the people. Religion is the thing that... Uh, you know, gets people's minds off reality so they can cope, but it's all fake. That's the point. And, um, but, you know, as I saw that, I thought, these are the deceptive words. This is the kind of deception that, that people buy into. The, the fact of the matter is uh, atheism is the opiate of the people. Because atheism tells you, you can live any way you want, you can do anything you want, you can behave any way you want, and there's no accountability. There's, you're never going to answer for this. Uh, there is no afterlife. You just live and die, and that's the end of it. That is what people are deluded with today. But what Paul tells us here is, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows that they shall also reap. So this this is the reality that the scriptures put forth. You know, humanity has always had their philosophies and their theories, but this is what God says. We're not to be deceived. He's not going to be mocked. In other words, what God says is absolutely true. And in the end, God will have the final word. Something for us all to remember. In the end, God will have the final word. And if we sow to the flesh, we will reap of the flesh. Corruption. That's that's God's word on living our lives. So sowing, the idea, of course, is is planting. and, And we know that just from the standpoint of observation, everything produces after its kind, right? So whatever seed you plant in the soil, the crop is going to be that, whatever that particular seed happened to be. And so Paul's using this as an analogy for us to show us that You can't reap or you can't sow to the flesh and reap anything other than the corruption that comes from the flesh. You can't sow to the flesh and reap life. So in other words, you can't live contrary to 
the revealed will of God and expect a blessing in the end or um, something positive to come from it. God is not mocked. All will be held accountable for everything. Now think about that for a moment. Every idle word that a person speaks, Jesus said they will give account for it on the day of judgment. That, to me, is so frightening. Every idle word. You know, every single thing, apparently, every single thing we've ever said has been recorded. How else would we give an account for every idle word? But that is consistent with what we're told in other places of Scripture. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, where we have a picture of the final judgment that's coming, it says this, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. Isn't that kind of frightening to think of that? That there, everything's being written down. It's all being recorded. So, so God will not be mocked. And God help us not to be deceived uh, in this area. So sowing and reaping, sowing to the flesh, reaping corruption, sowing to the spirit, reaping life everlasting. That's the promise. That's, that's what God says. This is, this is the, uh, the absolute truth. And there's no exceptions to the rule. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. The Greek word that's translated corruption is translated in a number of different ways in our New Testament. It's translated decay, it's translated destroyed, it's translated perish, but the idea is ruin. So those who sow to the flesh or those who live their lives indulging in forbidden fleshly behaviors or sinful practices, those who live that way the, the byproduct, the end result is going to be ruin. And there's, there's no exceptions to this. And I emphasize that because what, what happens, the deception is thinking that, well, I'm, my situation is different. And the, the person who is deceived, like Paul's talking about here, is the person who's convinced themselves that their situation is different. That uh, I know that this is true in most cases, or I know it's been uh, true for everybody else, but for me, it's going to be different. I remember many years ago having a conversation with a person, and they were in the process of uh, a, a guy, actually a friend, that I'd known for many years, and he was in the process of leaving his wife. Um, and he was telling me that it was okay. He was telling me that God had actually given him permission to leave his wife, who had not committed any sin, who was not unfaithful to him. Uh, but actually, according to him, it was because his wife never really satisfied his needs. So God was giving him permission to leave her for another woman. And, and he's looking me straight in the eye and he's telling me this with a straight face. And, you know, absolutely, this is what God has spoken to me. And I just said, well, can you find me a verse in the Bible to support that? He said, well, I, I don't need that, you know, because God's spoken to my heart. And this is what God has shown me. Now, this is just one example. I've had numerous people say similar kinds of things to me. 
But when somebody says that, I just look them in the eye and say, you are deceived. You're self-deceived. And what you think, because the, the whole, his whole theory was, uh, <clears throat> I, I haven't been blessed like I deserve to be. And so God's moving me into a new place where I can get the fulfillment, i.e. the blessing that I deserve. But the truth of the matter is, no, corruption, ruin is really what awaits you. That, that's the, those are the cold hard facts. We, we will never, and, and again, Paul says, God is not mocked. We will never live according to the flesh and reap anything good. It, it, does, it can't happen. It doesn't work that way. So, sowing in the flesh reaps corruption, but sowing to the Spirit. They who sow to the Spirit will reap of the Spirit everlasting life. Now, everlasting life is two words in the Greek, and one is um, the word that's translated everlasting, or aeonios is the Greek word, and it just, it's, it's the word that's often translated the ages, uh, life that goes, goes on through the ages. And the other word is zoe, that's the Greek word for lo- um, life here, and it's the life, it's actually that word is used in reference to the life of God. God's life is Zoe life. Or, or Jesus said, uh, he said, or John says about Jesus, in him was life. And that, that's the word, the Greek word, Zoe. So it's the life of God. It's the life of Christ. It's uh, a fullness of life. It's a, a vigorous and an active life. It's a life that transcends the ages. It's a, in other words, it's a quality of life. And this is the promise. Sowing to the Spirit reaps, ultimately, this kind of life. So, you know, these are the two things that are set before us as human beings. These are the two options. We can sow to the flesh, and the harvest is always going to be corrupt. We can sow to the flesh, and in the end, our, our lives will be a heap of ruins, Or we can sow to the Spirit. And the end of our life will be this this age abiding, this quality of life that is unmatched, unsurpassed, unattainable anywhere else. This quality of life. Those are the two options. And these are the things that we need to be really clear about. Not being deceived. This past week, I had the opportunity to speak with a man who's not a believer, and he's going through a, a, a crisis in his marriage that he brought on himself, and after almost three decades of marriage, he's been unfaithful to his wife, and she recently discovered that, and so you know everything's kind of falling apart. He's, he's about my age, a little bit younger than I am, and, and he said to me in the conversation, he said, well... 
you know, I feel really bad about what I've done and I've, you know, I've messed up my wife's life and all of that. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, I've been pretty miserable in my marriage and now I've got, you know, just, I've reached this stage in life and my career and all of that. And I'm, you know, I'm pretty well off and I'm pretty secure. And I'm kind of thinking that I want to just enjoy the rest of my life and, and this other person or someone like this other person, because he thought maybe this other person wasn't going to be interested in him anymore, but maybe somebody like that, you know, maybe I can go on. And this whole idea was maybe I can go on and just have a, the enjoyable life that I've never had. And uh, I said, well, I said, you and I are close to the same age. And let's just think about a couple of things. Number one, you got a lot less life ahead of you than you have behind you. <laughs> so, you know, I said, is it going to be a short-lived adventure <laughs> if this is the adventure you're going on? But beside that, and, and you know, it was really interesting because this, this person was open. And uh, they were very uh, transparent. It was, it was really a fascinating conversation. And, you know, he, he was telling me, look, you know, I'm, um, I, I'm um, successful. I, I have means. I have all of this. But, you know, he was just kind of saying, but, but I'm not happy. And I haven't been happy. So, but he's thinking that maybe he hasn't been happy because of his situation. But maybe he's going to be happy if he can just move, move on down the road into a new relationship. And I said, well, you know, think about that. I said, because, you know, think about the, the people that are celebrities, the people that we, you know, we, we see on the, on the movie screen or the people that we listen to on the whatever. And, and I said, you know, these people have it all. They have all the money. They have the notoriety. They have the fame. They have all of that stuff. But have you ever noticed how they can't stay married have you ever noticed how they many times they can't stay out of rehab centers and things like that? You know, they're always... So if that stuff really was going to bring anybody into a place of just absolute, you know, wonderful life, you know, these guys would have already been there. And then we would know that, yeah, this is how to get there. But it doesn't happen. And it's not happening with them. And don't fool yourself. It's not going to happen with you either. It's going to be the same situation. But again, it's just this whole uh, truth of sowing to the flesh can only produce ruin. That's, that's the end result. But sowing to the Spirit brings life everlasting life, age-abiding life. So it's a quality of life that Jesus gives us that there's nothing like it in the world, and it's just going to get better and better as we go on through eternity. And it comes to us. It is the result of the work of the Spirit. So as we sow to the Spirit, as we make the Spirit the, uh, the thing that we invest in, in our lives, the things of the Spirit, the promises that we will reap this life. And so Paul says then in verse 9, and let us not grow weary 
while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, when he says, let us not grow weary while doing good, doing good here, we can just translate it, let us not grow weary sowing to the Spirit. That's what he's talking about, the same thing. So sowing to the Spirit is doing good. What is doing good? Well, what he's talking about here is let us not grow weary living righteously. See, that's the thing. We need to keep living righteously. Having put our hand to the plow, we're to keep moving forward. We're not to look back. We're not to turn back. We are to keep living righteously. Living righteously meaning that we are, we are to keep living lives of obedience in regard to our relationship with God. And we're to keep living righteously in relationship to our um, you know, fellow human beings. So sowing to the Spirit is living righteously. It's loving God and it's loving others. And of course, as we love God, we obey God. As we love others, we, uh, we do only the things that are going to be a blessing to others. In other words, where love does no harm to its neighbor. Um, all the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not murder, and so forth. They're all summed up in this one, love your neighbor as yourself. So doing good to our neighbors, our fellow men, but we're not to grow weary while doing good. The problem is we sometimes we look at our situation and we feel like maybe we haven't um, received that, that benefit, that blessing, that, that life that the scripture is talking about here. We're, we're thinking, well, I'm not really experiencing that. And, you know, I'm tired of, of always trying to do the right thing and I'm tired of denying myself and I'm tired of, you know, doing for others and all of that. And it's time, people say this all the time. You know, it's time for me to do something for myself. It's time for me to live for myself. It's time for me to think about myself. It's time for me to worry about my own happiness. Nobody else seems to be concerned with it. Beware when those thoughts start dominating your mind because that's the flesh. Now, of course, it's not, your, your life isn't to consist of just being a slave to somebody else, but what happens when we start thinking about that and that becomes the thing that sort of begins to, to um, drive us, then what that indicates is that we've lost sight of the Spirit. We've lost sight of the Lord. And we've got to get back to that place of remembering Jesus and remembering that we are living for him and not growing weary while doing good, continuing to sow to the spirit. In other words, being faithful through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad, just, you know, keep consistent and persevere, not growing weary while doing good. But then the promise in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You see, this is the promise of God. There's a time in due season, and that due season is 
you know, probably we could say it's different for each one of us. It's the same for each one of us in the sense that ultimately it's being with the Lord. And then we're going to reap fully this harvest of this um, age-abiding life. But for the time being, for each of us, there, there's a due season. There's a timing. You know, God has a timing for everything in our lives. And what we need to be confident in, and we can be confident in it because this is what the scripture tells us, is that God is faithful. And so if you're a person who's saying, maybe even today, you came in here with, with this thought in your mind, you know, I've been faithful, I've been, maybe you're not thinking exactly in the terms of I've been sowing to the Spirit, but that's what you've been doing, and that's kind of what's the thought process in your head, even though you might not have used those exact terms, but, but at the same time you're thinking, but you know, I'm tired, and I look around at other people and they seem to be so much better off and they're not sowing to the spirit at all. I look at people all around me sowing to the flesh and man, they, it seems like everything's just going great for them. You know, you're not the first person that ever felt that way. And you won't be the last. Read Psalm 73. This is exactly what the psalmist himself thought. He said, you know, I looked around. I saw that the, the prosperity of the wicked... They don't seem to have any trouble in life. Everything's a breeze. And here I am, I'm trying to serve God and everything's so hard and, and my life is so difficult. And it just seems like, you know, why am I even doing this? Life gets harder for me. It seems like it gets easier for them. And the, the psalmist is expressing all of this in the 73rd Psalm. And then he says this, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. So what happened with the psalmist is what happens to us quite often. Got his eyes off the Lord and got his, got, you know, started looking around at everything else and not seeing things as they really are, but seeing things as they appear to be and thinking, you know, the wicked have it so easy. They don't have any problems. Their life is a breeze. They're never in financial trouble. They're perfectly healthy. Things always go their way. And here I am trying to serve God and I'm miserable. That's what the psalmist thought. And that's what we sometimes think. Because we just look at things on the surface. And oh, it looks like one thing on the surface, but this is what we need to know. We need to know what the scripture tells us is true, that those who sow to the flesh are reaping corruption. Their ultimate harvest will be a harvest of corruption, ruin, decay. But you know what? It's just right under the surface, even now. Even though it doesn't seem like it. Even though it seems like, man, they've got no troubles. They've got no worries. They're just going off, having the time of their lives and all that. You know that that's not really true, don't you? There's a whole nother thing that's going on behind the facade. And this is what the world does. The world puts up this facade and it, everything looks so great. But it's not great. Because the flesh leads to corruption. So like the psalmist said, he said, uh, so, th so this, this, this was my mental state until I went into the house of God and I understood their end. You see, 
the point of the psalmist was, when I was looking at the things around me, I lost perspective. And I thought, you know, why am I even bothering trying to be righteous? I might as well just give up. He said, but when I got my eyes back on God, that's his point. I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. He got God's perspective. He realized, oh, wow, no, these poor people, their, their feet are in slippery places. In just a brief moment, everything can come to a conclusion for them. And of course, they go off into judgment. And, and so this is what brought the psalmist back to his senses and brought him back around and encouraged him to continue uh, in doing good, knowing in due season we will reap. That's the promise of God. So wherever you're at right now, know this, don't give up. There's a blessing that's coming. And I, I don't know when, I can't tell you when. But God says there's a blessing that's coming in due season. The due season is the time that God knows that is best. So by faith, if, if we're not there at this moment, we just by faith say, okay, Lord, I know I'm going to be there. I don't know when, but, but I am gonna, I'm just going to keep moving forward, knowing ultimately that that's where you're going to bring me to be. And that's the promise that we have to live our lives by. And we have to resist that temptation to go back out and sow to the flesh and, and the deception that comes along with saying, well, you know, that's where things are going to be better for you. No, they're not. Know that they will not be better. So here's the promise. In due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, honestly, I think this is just true in a general sense. And I know it's, it's true in my life and it's true in your life as well. When we leave off sowing to the Spirit, in other words, when we fail to really engage in the things of the Spirit and, and the call of God on our lives, this is when trouble begins to rise in our hearts. As long as we stay engaged, as long as we stay busy, and not just you know busy for busy's sake, but, but busy in the things of the Lord, and that's what he's saying here, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Let us do good to all. You know, a lot of times the cure for my temptation to wander off into the realm of the flesh, a lot of times the cure is just really jumping in with both feet and really engaging in what God is doing. And taking those opportunities to do good, again, doing good is a, uh, it's synonymous with sowing to the Spirit, taking those opportunities to sow to the Spirit, whether it is with people in general or those within the immediate family of God, just, lo just looking for the opportunities. You know, boredom has this... Um, tendency to, to lead us into the things of the flesh. 
the, we're all familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah, I would imagine. And we, when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, generally we think of the, the sin there and uh, the homosexuality and all of that. And that was a reality. That was an issue there. God brought a judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. But you know what it says in Ezekiel about Sodom and Gomorrah? You know what it says the sin there was? It doesn't point to that particular sin. It says that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was idleness, fullness of bread, and no concern for the hurting people. So there was an idleness. There was a, 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 a complacency that developed because of, I mean, if you think about it, it's just describing like a, a comfort zone. And then, uh, you know, just concerned about yourself. And then the next thing you know, they're engaged in all kinds of sowing to the flesh. And so what I'm saying is that oftentimes the remedy for the tendency to drift into the flesh is just to dive deeper and deeper into the things of the Spirit. Taking every opportunity. The opportunity, as, as the opportunity comes... Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And knowing that as we just engage in the things of God, that as we give ourselves more and more to the work of the Lord and in wherever God has placed us, because you know, there's, there's work to do everywhere. Is being with a friend this week who um, is a, he's like a designer in New York City. And as, as we were having a conversation, he was just telling me how every job that he does, every client that he encounters, every, you know, just the, this whole world of hustle and bustle right there in the city, he said, you know, God has just shown me that every single one of these is an opportunity for ministry in some way. So even though that's his particular, you know, profession, he sees all of these people that he encounters throughout the days in his professional life as those that he can so, uh, to the spirit in their lives. And when he's not doing that, he's with the brothers and sisters doing what he can to, to build them up in the faith and to be built up in the faith. And, and that's the way our lives are to be lived in these days because there's ultimately a harvest that will come. It's inevitable. You sow, you will reap. Our lives are, are sowing. We're either sowing to the flesh or we're sowing to the spirit. There's a harvest day that will come. And so since that is true, now is not the time to faint. It is not time to faint. It's not time to lose heart. Now is not the time to indulge the flesh or embrace the world. We need to keep sowing to the Spirit 
man, keep sowing to the Spirit. I've thought about this uh, a number of times, especially lately for some reason. But I've just thought about, you know, what would it be like to have spent so much of your life in pursuit of this one thing, and then right before you attain it, or, you know, it, it would be like running in a marathon or something, and then, you know, you're, I mean, you're literally like 100 yards from the finish line, and you just like, I'm quitting. You know, who, who would do that? I quit. You know, I'm just tired of this. I ran 26 miles. I don't need to run any further. And you miss the finish line. And I think, what is the matter with people who have spent decades following the Lord, seemingly serving the Lord, and then they just are deciding, you know what, I'm, I'm quit. I'm going to go do this now. And listen, I know too many people that are doing that. And I've said this before, but you know, there's never a bad time. I mean, there's never ever a good time to backslide. Never. Never a good time to sow to the flesh. Never. But this is a particularly bad time to do it. You actually have to be fairly stupid in this day and age to do that. I mean, it's like, what? What are you thinking? What, what is there out there that you're thinking? is a greater reality than what you have here. But it's like I said when I started, the deception is increasing in our days. And we have got to be aware that this is part of the deception, to think that there's actually something out there that's better. To think that, you know, it's okay to sow to the flesh. I'm, I'm going to break, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be the one that breaks this. Uh, you know, I know everybody else sows to the flesh and reaps corruption, but not me. I'm going to sow to the flesh and I'm going to reap something wonderful. <laughs> You're fooling yourself. It's not going to happen. You know, I think of many of the men that I know that have left their wives for other women thinking, you know what, man, I just got to get away from this. This is, you know, this has never been good. And, you know, this gal, it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And you know what? It is not. It is nothing of the sort. It can't be. Why? Because God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, they shall reap. That's the universal reality. That's the law. You know, we hear people talking about karma and people say, yeah, you know what goes around, comes around and, you know, all those little sayings that we have. But this is the truth. Whatever a person sows, they will reap. You sow to the flesh, then ruin will be the harvest. You sow to the spirit, this quality, this age-abiding life, ultimately with God eternally, but here on earth, we have that experience as well. So this reminds me, um, in closing, it reminds me of the words that the author of Hebrews wrote to us in the 12th chapter. You remember there where the, 
the author exhorts us. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Endurance. That means, you know, keep going. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But but how do I keep going? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary in your souls. How do we keep going? How do we persevere? How do we endure to the end? How do we go all the way to cross the finish line? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus as our example, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. But we also look to him as our source of strength. Not just the example, although the example is important. Because as we look to Jesus, what we're seeing in his example is somebody who did this very thing. He endured despising the shame and he did it for us. So Jesus did this for me. I want to do something in return for him. But then also, like I said, knowing that he's the source, as we look to Jesus, he will give us the strength. He will give us the endurance. He will uh, sort out our perspective if we've lost our perspective. Remember the psalmist, this is what I thought until I went into the house of the Lord. And so it's the same thing. He went into the house of the Lord. He saw and remembered, oh yeah, I got God's perspective. So we look to Jesus and everything comes into focus. And we realize, oh yes, there is a day of accountability. There is a day of judgment. There is a day when every idle word will be accounted for. And of course, those things are all applicable to those who are outside of Christ. But for us who are in Christ, there's a day when we will be judged. Not to determine whether we go to heaven or hell. That's already been determined by our faith in Christ. But we're going to be rewarded or or miss a reward uh, for our faithfulness to the Lord, sowing to the Spirit as we've walked with him through this life. So may God help us to just have that truth fixed in our minds that the universal law of, of sowing and reaping is fully in operation and God will not be mocked. But as we look to Jesus, we continue knowing that in due season, we will reap. That's the promise of God. So Lord, thank you for your example to us of perseverance and endurance. But Lord, even more than an example, your love is what comes through as we think of your suffering, Lord, because you did that because you loved us. Lord, help us to reciprocate that love to you. 
Oh, Lord, help us to stay clear of deception. Help us, Lord, to continue faithfully to sow to the Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for that great promise that in due season, we will reap. Lord, that is your promise. And I pray, especially for any today who have sort of been like the psalmist, maybe, maybe just feeling like, what is the point? Lord, I pray that once again today, their perspective has been sorted out. And Lord, that we would keep sowing to the Spirit and reaping that life, both now and on into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.